Pastor Adam Lavecki here. This is a sermon live from Rescue Church. We hope it blesses you. Today, Mark 5, we're going to focus on that. And we are going to focus on bold faith. And that picture is what kind of sparked something in me. I, I randomly saw it. It might have been on social media. I don't know. And then I looked into it. There's a guy that was, was originally hand-drawn by a guy in Virginia, if I'm not mistaken. And there's just something so powerful to it of how the, if you don't know what this, this picture depicts, it depicts the story of the woman with the issue of blood touching the hem of Jesus' garment, right? And what's so powerful to me is that everything is dark. Remember, it was a huge crowd, as we're going to read later. And a highlight is, is just her and Jesus. And of how in that moment, that interaction is all what that mattered. In the midst of all this chaos and crowds, that that touch, that interaction is all that mattered. Not only to her, but also to Jesus. Also to Jesus. So Mark 5, the structure of Mark 5 is that it has three healings contained in it. The first 20 verses is about a healing of a possessed man in the country of the Gal Gal Gadarenes. So the Gadarenes are a Gentile nation. He's not with, um, in, the, in Judea, these are Gentiles. So that's an interesting thing to note because here is Jesus healing Gentiles where at first you're like, okay, it's for the Jews. What Jesus in this overall, one of the overarching themes I want us to also see throughout this passage is that God is depicting that Jesus is for everybody, not just for one people group, not just for one type of people, for every, everybody. That first, again, he's in a Gentile nation healing this man that is possessed. And if you read from the beginning, because I'm, I'm going to focus more on her, so I'm going to jump through some stuff with this part, is that this guy comes to him. This guy comes to Jesus. But Jesus knows where he's going. Don't make no mistake about it. Jesus is not haphazard in his journey. So this journey here is also very interesting. The first he's here in the Gadarenes. He heals this guy. He sends, he has, this guy has um, a spirit that calls himself legion because there's many. And then he sends this legion into the pigs and the pigs fall off a cliff, right? And he, this guy dwells in death in a graveyard. This guy dwells in death. And here comes the light of the world, fully life. And he recognizes, actually the demons inside him recognize it. Even the demons know, like, oh man, Jesus come in. Like, they're like pleading mercy, like, don't please. <laughs> These demons are pleading mercy already from Jesus because he know what he can do to them. They're pleading mercy and they're ready to do anything to be like, okay, we'll leave this guy. It's okay. It's almost like, uncle, I, like, I, 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 I bow to you. All right, I'm ready to do. Even the demons were like, all right, Jesus. And they leave this man. This man was naked in a graveyard. And all of a sudden, he's in his right mind, fully clothed. And the people were like, whoa. They were so scared. They were like, can you leave? <laughs> can you? What? <laughs> Sometimes we have to stop and think for a minute. And put ourselves in this, in each one of these, I want you to put yourself in that situation. For me, I don't know, I don't know why they, you know, they said, okay, can you just leave? This is boggling our minds. We don't know how to 
take this in. We don't know how to interpret this. So one, they're also seeing their economy just flew off a cliff. Many times in this money has a lot to do with our reactions, their reactions. They just saw their whole economy fall off a cliff. And they're like, we need you to go. But it's interesting, the man wants to go with Jesus, right? But what does Jesus say? If we jump to the end of that part around verse 20 or so, what, verse 19, Jesus did not permit him but say, hey, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has compassion for you. So what's interesting here is that the people that wanted him to leave, this guy, Jesus said, no, you can't come with me because actually you need to help these people. The people that wanted to kick me out actually need to hear your testimony. Because what does it say after that? And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. So almost like Jesus wanted to leave him there to bring understanding, right? To bring um, the revelation of who he was. Because what's interesting here in a Gentile nation, Jesus is like, go tell everyone. But you'll see later on when he's with Jairus, he's like, don't tell anyone. It's interesting. Because in one nation, they needed to hear it all. But in the Jewish nation, they weren't quite ready yet. They weren't quite ready yet. So I find that very fascinating. So right after that, Jesus jumps on a boat and heads to the other side. So again, Jesus is on a mission going in the right place exactly where he needs to be. So he goes over there, does that to then be sent out. Did Jesus know? Most likely. Most likely Jesus knew where he was going, what he needed to do. So as he's crossed over the, over the river onto the other side, now we're around verse 20, verse 22, and behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet. So I'm going to kind of jump around a little bit because what's interesting in this story is that first we meet Jairus, Jairus in the middle of Jairus' story, here comes the woman. And then we get to finish Jairus' story at the end. So if you notice what I brought up here for the verses, verses 21 and 24, deal with Jairus. Then 25 to 34, we jump to the woman and then back to Jairus at the end. So again, these three healings that we see here. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet. Verse 23, and begged him earnestly saying, my little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. So Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Let's go back for a minute. Let's talk about Jairus for a minute. What have we learned about Jairus so far? Because remember, when you read a piece of scripture, pause and think through who, ha who has just been introduced to us. Because there's purpose and reason why someone is there, why someone is named, if we have a name, and then also more of the details we've been given. So his name is Jairus and was before that. He was one of the rulers in the synagogue. Now, this doesn't mean that he was one of the Pharisees or something like that. He might have been someone almost like, um, like, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of like someone that kind of helped manage things, so to speak. So what's interesting here, you have someone that obviously deals with, he's in the synagogue, so he deals with the Pharisees and all of them and the leaders of the synagogue. And yet, he's choosing to go seek for Jesus. 
the people that, the leaders of the synagogue, don't want anything to do with at this point, right? And yet here he is, someone that's in leadership, a ruler of the synagogue is come seeking Jesus. This is important to know because that can mean a lot for him and the way of ramifications. He could be then ousted by the people he's supposed to be working with and working for by going against what they want. And what does he do? This ruler, this someone who's most likely affluent, he's, he's well known in the community, um, and he lays at the feet of Jesus. He humbles himself at the feet of Jesus and begged him earnestly that my little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. So throughout this turmoil, it's showing that not, no one's outside of grief and things happening, right? No one's outside of that. And yet here he has come to this belief, most likely through things he has heard or maybe witnessed himself, maybe of the other people talking like, oh, who's this guy? Thinks he, you know, he thinks he's this, he's that, he's doing this. And he starts developing this belief that maybe Jesus can really do something for me in my, one of my weakest points in my life, my hardest points in my life. Maybe all these stories, or if maybe he's thinking, at least it's worth a shot. At least it's worth a shot. It's worth me losing everything in the synagogue just to see, can this man heal my daughter? It was worth that. So what does Jesus do? He's like, okay, let's go. Verse 25, okay, let's, whoop, let's put a pause on that story. And now this woman comes in out of nowhere. You're talking about a huge crowd again. What it says, great multitude, that's a lot of people. Great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment, for she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Let's pause there. Again, what have we learned about her so far? She's had a flow of blood for 12 years. That means some type of uterine issue, most likely. And because of that, due to the law in Leviticus 15, 19, she's an outcast. Anything she touches is unclean. Anyone who touches her is un unclean. That means she's isolated. She's completely isolated from the temple, the synagogue. She's not allowed to go there at all. Most likely does not have a husband, right? We don't know, we don't know what's happened to her before 12 years. We don't know how old she is, but it's been a long time. So here she is completely isolated and alone. But in her isolation, what does she still develop? She still has faith. Even being an outcast from the synagogue, she still has this faith in God. She still has this faith. And then she starts hearing these stories about Jesus. And something's connecting to her faith. And man, this man, maybe this man can finally heal me. That means for 12 years, she's been seeking so many different ways to get healed. And things that make sense, right? If we're sick, we go to a doctor. Things that makes total sense. 
but she went to physician after physician after physician and nothing. In fact, it even says she grew worse. She grew worse. So either she was going to the wrong doctors or the, really the doctors could do nothing. But that can be frustrating and disappointing. And at some point for 12 years going through something, you gotta admit, I can, she, she can easily give up and no one would blame her for it. Be like, oh, I get it. You have gone through a lot. It's okay. But she didn't. She still had hope. The fact that she kept on going to different people showed there was a hope in her that could not be squashed, that could not be taken away. And here comes these stories about Jesus. And she had this belief because there was a superstition at the time that people's power would go through their clothes, would get on on their clothes. And that is somewhat Old Testament biblical because the anointing would be also on the garments, right? So that is somewhat biblical, but in the way it also turned someone to a superstition around this time as well. But what she also didn't know that that was completely biblical in the way of a prophecy of who Jesus was, right? According to Malachi 4.2, there would be healing in his wings. That's wings is actually for the edge of the garment, right? So she's fulfilling a prophecy of who Jesus is. And you have to remember when Mark is writing this book, he's writing it in a way of trying to present evidence to people and showing this is what happened. Now it's up to you to decide if you want to believe it, but here's all the evidence. So remember, Mark is writing this as a way of giving people evidence of who Jesus is and why he's here and what he has done. So again, he's pointing to, again, there's a reason for certain stories. Why all of a sudden in the middle of this chapter is this woman mentioned? Well, who knows? One thing I think of right later on and be like, oh, who touched you? It was like, there's so many people. We don't know if other, did other people have that idea too? If only I can touch him. But there's something so special about her touch compared to anyone else's. But the fact she did not give hope, even in her own situation. So verse 29, immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, virtue had gone out of him, dunamis, that's that Greek word dunamis of miraculous power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? Now the disciples responded, this, this question sounds ridiculous, right? Have you ever been in a big crowd? You're trying to get in, you're squished, you're maybe you're at a concert or trying to get into um, an arena or whatever you're doing, that's, it's tight, right? You're like, I don't know who's touching me, you know, trying to <laughs> maintain somewhat much personal space as you can. But again, we're not, we, even in those crowds, we weren't Jesus where everyone's trying to get to us. Right, we've seen some things like that in Haiti where people are so desperate, they're brushing the stage, trying to get a hold of something, trying to get prayer. We've seen that in the nations. But again, here are people trying to come after him. So the fact of him asking who touched him sounds like an absurd question. However, the disciples didn't fully understand because if they did fully understand, it wouldn't be an absurd question, actually. It sounds ridiculous in the natural in the physical, but in the supernatural, that question made perfect sense. But in, that, in the natural, that was an absurd question. 
And they said, you see the multitude thronging you and you say, who touched me? What's interesting about that word touched is I looked up the word. It says light on fire, lit on fire. So that touch, again, there was something more than just being jostled around. There was something more to that touch. There was faith attached to that touch. There was hope attached to that touch. That touch wasn't just a simple touch. There was something more to that touch. And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. So what's fascinating this part, right? Now, she could have easily touched him, got healed, and ran off. Jesus could have probably just let her go too. But there was a purpose to him stopping, turning around. Remember, he's also in a rush. Let's not forget that. There is an urgency here of this daughter about to die. There is a sense of urgency. So they're, in, they're trying to rush forward. They're being pushed by a crowd. Jairus here is probably thinking, what in the world? Like, my daughter's about to die, and you're going to stop? You're going to stop? But I think this healing was not only for the woman, but it was also for Jairus to witness in the midst of him going for his healing, to witness something else happening in the midst of it. But there's a whole purpose of Jesus stopping. To give the woman dignity. To give the woman a chance to publicly proclaim what happened. There was a purpose in that. Because now her publicly proclaiming what happened removes the shame off of her. Now people know, oh, this woman's healed. She doesn't have to be outcast anymore. She has been fully restored. There is a purpose for that. Because what does it say? She told him everything. Now, being woman, most likely that was a long story. It might not have been short. All right, it may not have been short. So again, they're waiting. They're sitting there listening to this woman's story. 12 years of story. 12 years of history. Right? She's telling him the whole truth. Why? To remove the shame. Remove that label of her. Also, because what is she known as? She's known as the woman with the issue of blood. We don't know her name. So she's known by her issue. She's known by her infirmity. But at this point, not anymore. Not anymore. Now she can be completely grafted back into society completely grafted. So the God, Jesus is so intentional. And then what's so beautiful here is that what he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction, daughter. He calls her daughter. This woman that was isolated for years now has identity as a daughter of, of God, as a daughter, that Jesus, the, the most holy one, calls her out. There's, just, there's something so personal. A personal interaction had to happen. It's almost like God doesn't want like, oh, thank you, God, I'm healed, and rush off. There's that personal interaction that Jesus wants and it's so beautiful that it's, it's so intentional of God to pause for a minute, to show how important she is. Even in the rush, he paused 
I was like, no, this woman's important. We ha I have to talk to her. I have to allow her to speak out. I need to give her a voice. What's also interesting here, you have to remember that woman in that culture is not the same as now. They didn't always have a voice or never had a voice. And so easily to be, be an outcast. Now she, not only is she a woman, now she has this issue that according to the law, she is practically nothing. Nothing. All because of her issue. Thank you, Jesus, that is no longer the case. I don't want to be known by my infirmity. I don't want to be known by my issue. Yet some of us go around and talk like if we do. Introduce ourselves in our issue and in our infirmity, right? But even I know in, in, some, in some ways, those in the education world, like as like that, that kid's not autistic, that kid has autism. So even be careful of our wording of what we say. This person has this, but they're not that. That's not who they are. So be careful with our wording because we, do, we, we don't want to label people in their infirmity because God sees them as so much more, so much more. And it's not fair for us to cut that short because that's all we want to see or that's what, what needs to define them first when that's not true. It's not true. So it's just a beautiful interaction. I just, I can, I would love to know. It's almost sounds like you get a glimpse of this story and they're like, oh, I wish I could know more. Like, what did she do after? Like, what did she, like, where did she, who did she go to? Who did she go to first? Did she have family still to go to? Did she, like, was she, I don't know. It's just, it's a, but it gives you hope. And so now she has a brand new life. And I think as, what's so bold about this is that thinking that, she put herself almost like remember the, um, the Jairus how I started talking about him is that he put himself in a position that he could have lost it all just by interacting with Jesus and having that faith. She risked. What if it didn't work? Now she's touched Jesus, and now technically he could be unclean, right? Or people noticed her, and, and she would have been really in trouble for her to be in this huge crowd, most likely touching other people. And now he, here she is. So that was huge ramifications for her, huge ramifications. But what's interesting here is that even though she could have made him unclean, actually that touch made her clean. With Jesus, it's completely opposite, right? They thought the, with the leper, right? If you touch the leper, you became unclean. But no, when Jesus touched the leper, the leper became clean. Amen. So think of that same spirit that is in us as well, that we have to start believing that what we touch can be blessed. Amen. What we touch can be healed. Right. That was a big issue with during COVID time. Like, where did our faith go to lay our hands on others? And the infirmity would go rather than thinking, oh, no, let me hide in my house with two masks on and all that fun stuff. So it's like, where is that now? Don't I understand that there's being smart. OK, but don't be smart in the name of doubt. Don't be smart in the na name of not having faith. You have to ask yourself that question. Am I making this choice because of my fear or am I making this choice because of my faith? And be careful of that question because sometimes we can make the decisions in the name of being safe, but it's actually in the name of fear.
So being careful of that question. All right, let's go on to Jairus's daughter real quick. I'm going to go through here because this is to me is a fascinating story as well in the midst of all this. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? So here Jairus, he's, get, he's probably, oh, that woman was healed. He might have been so excited. Okay, Jesus can do this. And then he gets bad news. His faith was probably in a good place. And then all of a sudden he got this news. But as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid. Only believe. Jesus knew what was starting to go on in Jairus's mind. Thinking, here I am. I came out here. I laid, him at, I laid myself at this man's feet. He had to stop. I saw this healing, and now I'm not about to not get mine. Someone else got theirs, but I'm going to lose out on mine. Jesus is not like that. Amen. Jesus has enough. Jesus has more than enough. So right there, he had to stop him in his tracks and say, do not be afraid. Only believe. We have to be careful with the news we listen to. We have to be careful who we want to speak into us. And we're going to even confront that a little bit more later here too. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. So he brought a select few. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. Let me pause there. Back in those days, there were hired mourners, people that were hired to wail and moan and make a big commotion, right? So these were hired mourners. And then Jesus came in and said, why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. So these professional mourners were hired prematurely. So when they hear this, they might be thinking, we're about to lose a job. You're about to tell us we came here, we're supposed to do our job of mourning, and you want to tell us this girl is asleep? No, 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 no. That's why they start to ridicule him, right? Because you're about to take away my job. Here's that money thing again. That's how that money thing is attached again. I think they're going to ridicule him because of something they're going to lose rather than thinking, oh, really? Like, because they, there's no attachment there. They were hired to do their job. They were hired to mourn. And now you're going to tell me I'm here for no reason and I might not get paid. They didn't like that. But then what did he have to do? He had to put them all outside. You better put that negativity somewhere else. Right? You had to be, it's almost like you had to be careful who you start allowing in to your situation. These people were, should not have been in this situation. These people had no say in this situation, no authority in this situation, but yet here they were as hired people. And a warning to us, be careful who you let in to your situation. You have to be, sometimes when you're, especially when you're in a place like you, you're in real need and you need to be in real faith, you have to be careful who you listen to. Even so, you have to be careful who you share it to as well. I remember thinking one time when we were, I think the first, when we went through our first loss, 
we were very careful who we shared it to. Because at the point, we didn't want to believe it was a loss. We, were, sometimes, we had some crazy prayers back then. We saw no heart being made. God, like, you can still change this. Did he? No, but it's okay. God has redeemed us threefold, even more so. But it's okay to pray those crazy prayers. Why not? What do you have to lose? Right? Even in this instance, what did that woman have to lose? She, she chose easily being outcast even further just for the chance that maybe this belief is right. Right? What do you, what do you have to lose to pray those crazy prayers? What do you have to lose to move more toward Jesus? What did she have to do? I'm kind of going back a little bit, right? Jesus moved toward where she was. Jesus was in the right place at the right time. However, it took her to move toward him. So Jesus is where he's supposed to be. But we still have to make the choice to move toward him. What did Jairus have to do? He had to leave his house where his daughter was about to die. They already are hiring mourners. He decided to leave that place to go, look, to go get Jesus. The only man at that time, he, the, the only person at that moment, the only one, only one ever that can actually do what he needed to do. And he did the right thing. As a father, then, he left to seek the only one that can fix it all. That shows you a picture of a, of a father right there, that he chose to get up, get out of that place, to move toward the only one, the only one that can do it. He, he couldn't, didn't have to do that. He could have chose to, well, I'm the leader of the synagogue. I can't be seen out there, right? We're just, but no, he chose to do the right thing, to move out, to move toward Jesus in that moment. Again, Jesus was in the right place, but he still had to move toward him. Even the Gadarenes, even the, the man possessed, Jesus, right when Jesus lands, here comes this man running. Jesus was in the right place, but he had to move toward Jesus. The man that they brought from the roof, right? Jesus was in the right place, but they still had to move toward Jesus. So Jesus is there. What did we say this morning? Jesus is here. We even talk about, he's saying, I'm here. Come. I'm already here, but you need to take that step toward him because he's already there. You need to take that decision to put something down, put the phone down, put, close the computer for a minute, right? Find that place where you can be just him and you, right? What is that picture earlier? What was that? That was her and him. That's it in that moment. And you can, you can have that moment on, on a train, on a bus. You can have that moment anywhere. Why? Because they're just, she had that moment in the middle of chaos, in the middle of a multitude, a crowd she had in that moment. All because she chose to move toward him. She chose with bold faith. Her faith moved her toward the only one that can fix her. Let's continue on with Jairus, right? The child is not dead, but is sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him. Remember, it's the three disciples. So it's just the disciples, him, and the parents. And entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kumi, which is translated little girl, I say to you, arise. 
Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age. We're going to note that number 12 in a minute. I'm going to finish reading first. And they were overcome with great amazement, but he commanded them strictly that no one should know it. See, what I say earlier, he was with the, the possessed man. He said, go tell everyone. Now here, what does he tell them to do? That no one should know it and said that something should be given to her to eat. So she needed a little snack after all that, right? God is so, he's not only, he heals her, you know, physically, but then like, oh, he's like, he, he intuitively like, get this child a snack. He knows children need a lot, but he's just amazing. Jesus is amazing. But what's fascinating here, again, he told them not to, not, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. This guy is a leader of a synagogue. He's about to have hundreds of people around him. He had a whole room of hired mourners. They got kicked out and now like, oh, but my daughter's alive. <laughs> I'm not going to tell anyone. I can't tell anyone. Now, I just, I'm, I'm curious. Again, it's one of those things you wish you knew more about. Because how many times did you tell that to him? Like, I wonder if like, I, could they really hold it in? <laughs> could they? Could they? Like, oh, that would be such, like, like afterwards you do, I'm like, sorry, Jesus. I didn't listen to you, I told. But it's like, how could you hold that in? How can you hold that in? But again, there was purpose. There was purpose in that. But let's go back to that number 12. What was, remember, how many years did the woman have the affliction of blood? 12. The girl was 12 years of age. What's interesting with that number, that's number of authority. That's the number of authority. So they were, at one point, under the authority of sickness, right? And here Jesus comes in bringing the ultimate authority, kicking that sickness out. Again, showing who he is. This is, in this one chapter, you have three different healings that completely reveal who Jesus is. There is so much intention. We had to remember that, that this, is, this whole book wish I had, I should have brought, there's something about a real Bible. It hit me today. I'm like, ah, I forgot my, in in this book, no, it's not the same. It's not the same. There's, that there's such, even with all the different authors, there's so much intentionality. Why? Because God was the ultimate author that used those, those men to write it out. There's so much, and we have to remember that as we read through the scriptures, there's so much intentionality. And showing Jesus' intention, the order of things, that intention. Because what's fascinating is that right when this chapter ends, like that's the, the end of the chapter there. And I lost it. I don't know where. There I am. Um, you know, she rose up, give her something to eat, right? Right in the next chapter, Mark 6, he goes into a place, right, his own country, comes into his own country where people start to be like, wait a minute, isn't this Jesus that was born of Mary and we don't really know the legitimacy there and they start questioning him and all he can do is a few healings and left. Their unbelief cut them off completely of what Jesus can do. So it's fascinating here. You just came from a chapter of these three awesome healings, people pressing up against Jesus, wanting that they get to literally he comes to another town and they just they can't get past their offense. 
of who Jesus is to allow, to have him or accept or have faith in doing anything he can do. Their unbelief, their offense cut them off from Jesus. It's so saddening to think like right after this, that's where this goes. But I really believe that's intentional to have that written in. Because to show what was the three people, they had extremely bold faith. Bold faith in something they didn't fully understand. Right? The, the Gadarenes guy, that, the, the, the demons were the one that recognized who Jesus was. The woman with the issue of blood, she was isolated from the teachings, but she still had some foundation, but she was completely isolated. And just hearing stories about him created this faith, this belief system to put her in a position to receive her healing. Jairus was surrounded by people in the synagogue that most likely did not accept Jesus. These people didn't fully understand who Jesus was, and yet they had this faith that just they knew, if only I can get to him, if only I can get next to him, if only I can get him to come. Like they had to move toward him, they, but they had to have that faith to move. And we also, I think in this hour, have to allow our faith to move us toward Jesus. Have to, because we, it's again, what do we have to lose? What do we have to lose? If we do lose anything, it'll probably be for the better. Even if it puts you in a place, because remember, Jairus was in a place, he might have lost his job. Maybe. But yet, I'm sure he would much rather have his daughter than his job. So you have to make a choice. I would much, much rather have Jesus than anything else. Let us go, therefore, come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let us come boldly unto the throne of grace. They came boldly unto Jesus and received the mercy, the grace, and the help in time of their very need. So bold faith makes us aware of our need, draws us near to Jesus. Bold faith demands action. If, it's not, if there's no action attached, then it's not bold faith. There has to be action attached to it. And bold faith also brings forth a testimony. Amen. It brings forth a testimony. I know here we have so much testimony, but I know there's so much more. There's so much more in what God wants to do in us and through us and with us, but it takes us to move, to move toward him. I've been seeing that. I've been encouraged by what God's doing just in this house. But I think as there's another layer for each one of us, what does that look like? To ask the question, God, what does it look like to become more bold in my faith? What does it look like for me to come nearer to you, to move toward you and not move away, to not stay stagnant, but to move, right? The kingdom's constantly moving forward. So if we're not moving forward with it, then we're 
technically moving back, <laughs> right? Standing still means moving back in the kingdom because it's constantly moving, right? If you decide not to get on that car and the car moves out, you're, you're left behind, right? It's, it's time to move. What does it look like for us to move with his kingdom and now each one of you are in a different place a different situation you have different workplaces different family but each one is going to look different but it looks the same in the way that it looks like us moving toward jesus that's where it looks the same is to us to move toward him to move what he has for us what is he what has been weighing us down that we need to lose that we need to shake off because that stuff can weigh us down we have to ask, what's, what are some things in our belief system, right? Because I'm sure once she touched the hem of her garment, once she spoke, I think also speaking to her also might have kind of taken off some of this other stuff that was attached to her faith, that, some of that superstition, and realizing that this guy is more than just a touch of that fabric. This guy is so much more than that, that he turns to her and says, daughter, at that moment you are. You are accepted. You are a part of my family. It's so beautiful. Like God's telling you right now, daughter, son, no matter what you've gone through, no matter if you've, maybe you felt isolated for the past couple years, maybe your extreme tragedy has caused you to move toward him. Some of you have become free or maybe need to get free. Of some things. God's calling all of that is a beautiful thing that God is calling us closer to receive the healing, to, re to believe for others, and they want to be free. I, it's just there's to put those three together. Again, they are so intentional. I want to bring us back to the picture. To find those moments, it was beautiful. I, I think you're you're singing about before to find those moments where it's just you and him. To seek for those moments, to desire those moments, to crave those moments, right? Sometimes, like we crave like dessert, or we crave other things. We you know we crave to to watch a game, or we get stuck watching TikTok videos for an hour. It's just like we let us crave something that actually feeds our soul. Right, crave something that actually feeds your soul. Crave those times with him. And I'm there with you, I need to fight for that as well. I can admit I'm not perfect in that at all. And I can understand it can be a lot, especially those, you know, if you have family or even not, not speaking down to you single people or people without kids. I know a lot of you have demanding jobs and things like that, but it's a fight. It's a fight, the fact that, and you don't think that the enemy knows that. You don't think that? You know, it's just, I think, like, going back to the phones. I can find myself easily being on this thing, and all of a sudden these videos, and you're like, what is going on? Because they, they know your habits, right? And they know all of a sudden there's these videos that they know you kind of like, and there's actually scientific study that some of that also feeds part of your brain like an addiction. The enemy knows this stuff to, to eat up your time because he knows the more you put that aside, the more you're with Jesus, he's more in trouble even though he already is. It's almost like he hasn't not, he's been defeated for two, over 2,000 years and he still can't accept it. He's been living in denial for over 2,000 years, but we've been feeding his denial. That's the sad part.
that we feed his denial. But he has been in denial that he has lost for over 2,000 years. Let's be the ones to remind him of that. Amen. That he has lost and that he has no right. He has no right to our family. He has no right to our minds. He has no right to our time. Right at that moment, she was like, forget all this stuff. Forget what the enemy has done to my body. I need to get what is, right, is mine in the way of this healing. She was not accepting that this was the way she's going to live. That's fascinating. Again, going back to that, 12 years she's been working on it, not accepting that this is her final reality. There are some things that we have accepted that God has not, that we need to realize this is not my reality. I'm not accepting this is my reality. But that's on you to choose to get up and decide that this is not it. To move, again, toward Jesus, to get to to his presence, to touch the hem of his garment. He's within reach. But to reach something, you got to move. you got to get up. She had Lombano, thank you. <laughs> Those who were not here that, that Wednesday with Pastor Greco, I, I encourage you to go back and find that teaching and listen to it. Very powerful. That's a word we keep on saying, Lombano. But again, it takes that movement toward it. And it's an, it's an encouraging thing. Because God is right. He's like, what did we say? Or like, God, it, it's not like he's like, oh, it's going to leave you alone to do it all by yourself. Holy Spirit, he sent Holy Spirit to help us, to remind us like, hey, like a coach, get up, dust yourself off. Let's go. Let's move toward the prize. Let's keep this thing moving. But again, it's us to choose to listen to that. It's for us to choose. So let's pray. So Lord, we just thank you that God, you would give us bold faith in this hour that you would give us bold faith and that we trust you to move, that, God, we know, Jesus, we know you're in the right places. You're everywhere, but help us to move toward you, to also not for ourselves but for others like Jairus did for his daughter. He moved on behalf of his family to see a healing. Help us to move on behalf of our family to see salvations and healing. Move on behalf of our city, our state, our country to see things shift and move. And God, help us to seek healing for ourselves, both mentally, spiritually, physically, that we receive what's already ours. That you have promised that, God, so we want to receive it, that we reach towards you, that you would give us faith and strength in this hour to be a voice, to proclaim your goodness like we sang, your greatness like we sang. May, may it be something we don't just say in here, but we go out there and like, oh man, God is so good. Because you are, Jesus, you are so, so good. And may that be our testimony, our word, what we're known by. May we be labeled by our faith. May we be labeled by the one we cling to. And Jesus, you are so good. And we just trust you. Again, give us boldness. Give us strength in this hour, God. And may that be a daily prayer, God, that when we wake up, Give me boldness today to do, to move towards you. Whatever circumstances, give me the strength and the faith and the boldness to move towards you. Today, help us to move towards you. 
when we get home, when we leave this place, help us to move towards you. That moving towards you just doesn't happen here during worship. That we can have those our own moments. We just thank you. <laughs> In Jesus' name. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Rescue Church podcast. We would love to see you in person. For more information, visit rescuechurch.tv slash invite.